Life can be against you. There are times when the windows of heaven are open to bless you, but the gates of hell will be open to blast you. And just because you're going through struggles doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore or God's presence isn't someplace anymore or God's not moving anymore. It's just the enemy is trying to, with the the distractions, he's trying to take you away from the attraction. Which is get your eyes off of Jesus. Because if you get your eyes off of Jesus, you know what you can do? You can put your eyes on a man very easily. And you know what happens when you put that on that man? Oh, he might be everything since sliced bread when he first starts, but sooner or later, oh, that's just old hat. I need something new. Am I making any sense this morning? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Master. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Well, let me take you into your notes today. Very familiar passage of Scripture, and I, I wanted to give it to you so you could look at it and write it down. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Once again, very familiar. Elisha, has been, God's been speaking to him and telling him all the whereabouts of the, the Syrian king and all the difficulties that, the, uh, that Israel is dealing with and the Jews are dealing with at the hands of the king. Well, the king of Syria thought there was a mole in his kingdom, so he was searching around for somebody to deal with to stop telling what's going on and telling them all the maneuvers of the Syrian army. Well, all of a sudden, one of his, one of his people stood up and told the king, King, there's nobody in your army that's doing this. It's Elisha, the prophet of God. Before you do something, God tells him. How many know God knows everything? You know God knew your problem before you ever went into it? God even gave you the ability not to go into it. And we talked about that a few weeks ago as we concluded the Armor of God series. He gave you the lance of prayer to send it out in the battlefield before you even get there to help to thwart some of the difficulties. Well, there's a lot of times that God lets us go to the battle. Sometimes God lets us get in the middle of the fire and still doesn't take us out of it. But what's he do? He goes in the fire with us. Well, in 2 Kings, Elisha and his servant were just, you know, sleeping that night. And all of a sudden, the servant gets up early in the morning because he's noticing there's noises outside that he's not familiar with. And the Bible says that some 20 plus thousand troops of the Syrian army had surrounded this little house that Elisha and the servant were in. 
you read the story, the servant came running to Elisha and said, Elisha, 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 I got problems everywhere. How many ever felt like that? Not just one problem, not just two. Now, I'm not talking about the people you're sitting next to either. Not just one or two. You got a bunch of problems. Anybody ever have a bunch of problems? I've told people for years, you know, mama told me I'd have days like this. She just never told me I'd have monthly allotments. And so Elisha's servant is there saying, Elisha, we're surrounded. The Syrian arm, the hillside is just thousands of chariots and horsemen and, and armsmen and, and bowmen and, and swords. I mean, I mean he's, he's got it all. I think he probably took a list out there and tallied it all up and said, hey, this is what's out there. Picture Elisha probably walked, or a servant probably walked into Elisha and said, See, this is, this is what's out there. Elisha looked at the list, looked at the servant, and then he turned over and went back to sleep. But before he went back to sleep, he prayed a prayer. How many ever prayed a going to sleep prayer? Can I tell you, a going to sleep prayer is probably one of the most powerful prayers you'll ever pray because that's when you realize. There ain't nothing you can do about it, so you might as well go to sleep and give it to God. Before he went back to sleep, he said, Father, open his eyes and let him see that our army is bigger than theirs. And we find the story unfolds there. The young man's eyes were opened in verse 17, and he could see horses of fire and chariots of fire everywhere on the mountain. I want that sink in for just a second as I get into this, con- this conversation we're about to have, that through God's love, we're shown His peace. Through God's love, we're shown His peace. When God shows up, in your problem, it's an innumerable, innumerable, it's a whole bunch. It's a whole bunch. You know, the Bible says that the angels are without number. Now think about it. The Bible says a third of them followed Satan. You think you're dealing with just a little guy with, with red horns and a pitchfork? No, not at all. And that doesn't how he looks like anyway. Just this time of year, he looks like that. He has a whole bunch of demons, and every one of them might be camped at your house right now. Having problems? Having difficulties? This is what happened on that hill. Now, I'm going to go into this, and we're going to go fast and hard, but when we land, we're going to be victorious. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The servant looked at the hillside, and all he could see was the ominous trouble. That's all he could see. But you know what? And it's on the screen, folks. God already knew about the problem, and God was about to show up. Your situation, your circumstance, God loves you so much that he's just waiting for you to invite him into your problem. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There goes the Beatles again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Calm down. Calm. God wants to be invited into your house. He wants to be invited into your situation. Elisha didn't even second think, think it. <laughs> didn't even have a second thought about it. Do you know why? Elisha and God, they like this. Remember, that's why I, I teach you all the difference between a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. A follower can follow from close up, a distance, around town, across town. I mean, you can follow them on your iPhone or your droid if you want to. Oh, Jesus, I'm following you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But if you're a disciple, you're like this. You can't see where the man ends and Jesus begins. That's what it means to be a disciple. Well, here we got a picture of Gehazi, the servant. And I'm not saying that he wasn't a believer and a true uh, man of God, a desirous of God, but I'm not thinking that he was walking quite as close with God as Elisha was. But here's the picture is, the servant saw the troubles were ominous. Elisha just looked at it and said, okay, that's pretty normal. They got a few less in this army than the last time. Okay, I'm going back to sleep. Is it that easy? When you know God's love, you can have that peace. When you know God's love, you can have that peace. See, struggles are a part of our life. And a problem many Christians face in life is not understanding, or excuse me, is not necessarily the understanding of God's Word. It's because man doesn't choose to teach all of God's Word, only the good stuff. Can I tell you something? If all I did, if I, come up here, Cody. Come up here. If I, <clears throat> If all I did was, when Cody comes to church, oh, just how much Jesus loves you, Cody. Remember this from last week, Scott? How much Jesus loves you. But all of a sudden, the devil comes up and just, oh, oh, he loves you, Cody. He loves you. And the devil comes up, oh, he loves you, Cody. He says, well, man, if that's love, I don't know if I want any of it. You see, if, if I don't deal with the struggle, what are you going to do and what are you going to think when the struggle comes? I must be a horrible sinner. I must be backslidden. I must be, you know, out of right relationship with God. Or you must be right in the middle of God's will for your life. Think about it. Elisha was right in the middle. He was doing exactly what God said. Sadly, today it seems that the church is more inclined to preach on the blessings of God than the realities of life. And folks, I don't know about you, but you know, this right here, this is ugly, not stupid. And the reason it's gotten ugly is because it's ran into a few walls. Mainly because I didn't let God become the buffer between me and that wall. Can I say amen this morning? 
John, 1 John 4, 18, it's not in your notes, but you need to write it down. You know the Bible says? Perfect love casts out fear. When I'm walking in the love of God, I know the peace of God. And where the peace of God, the fear of the world is no longer there. Now, I want you to take your notes in your hand because I'm going to make you do some work. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 and 48. It's going to be on the screen, but I don't want you to look at the screen. I want you to look at your notes because I want you to take a pen and you're going to do a couple things for me. The Bible talks about Jesus instructing his disciples. And then the scripture says this, these words in verse 45, immediately. Say, say that with me. Immediately. That doesn't mean tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or even a little time from now. It means do what you know you're supposed to do now. Is that, is that immediate enough? Now, I want you to circle this next word. Not Jesus. I want you to circle the word right after Jesus. What is that word? Made. You know, virtually every translation uses the word made. Some translations use the word compel. Some translations use the word urge, as in to force them. Look what the scripture says. Immediately, now. Some of you are going to get this. I'm talking about how God shows his love that we can obtain his peace. Okay? Immediately. There's some of us that have been sitting back waiting for God to move. And God's been moving. You say, well, what, 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 no, I'm waiting for God to do something. God's already done something. Well, I, I'm waiting for something specific. He already did something specific. What, Calvary? He already moved from Bethlehem to Calvary. And you know all that way, he was leading you and me to the same place that he was going to, the cross. Until we immediately let go of yesterday, we can no longer immediately reach into tomorrow. Why? Because we're standing confused today. Am I making sense? Immediately, Jesus made. There's some of us that are dealing with struggles. You know why we're dealing with them? Jesus is trying to get us off our To do something. He's trying to get us to move. He's trying to get us to, to get out of where we were to get to where we need to be. So circle that word made. His disciples get into the boat. I've elaborated this and I will not move on it any further other than the reality is we must do something to see God move or to overcome. I got to get these thoughts out of my head because they could break into words at any minute. Immediately he made them. Now I want you to underline these words. He made him get into the boat and, underline this, go on 
ahead to the other side. Immediately, he said, let go of what's, what's happened. Let go. Let's move on. I'm going to make you get to the other side. Now, we know that there's a big storm coming up because we read the book. But can I tell you something? Those disciples didn't know a big storm was coming up. Oh, yeah, they knew the storm. They knew the water. They knew the sea. They knew the potential out there. But I'm a Christian. God wouldn't send me out into a storm, would he? Do you see how I preach the full gospel? There's sometimes God would lead you right into the middle of the storm to blow some of that garbage off your life. So he said, go on ahead to the other side. What is the key of that? You think Jesus, even though he's leading you out into it, do you think he's leading you out into it not to get you through it? He said, go to the other. If Jesus tells me I'm getting to the other side, as long as I keep my eyes on him, you know where I'm getting? Folks, I took a sneak peek at the back of the book. It tells me who wins. Okay? Are you with me this morning? Okay. Now, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd. He said, you guys don't need to get caught up in all this stuff. They're just going to walk up to you and say how great you are and how awesome you are and how this, and they're going to get you to pray for this and pray for that and the other thing. He said, we already dealt with all this stuff. You guys get in the boat now and go to the other side. Don't hang around. Stop dilly-dallying. Don't reason with the devil. Don't get into conversation with him. Well, you know, you've done this and you've done that. Yeah, devil, I, I got it. I did all of that. Fine, but it's under the blood. Let's move on. And then what did Jesus do? He left them. What did Jesus do? I want you to underline this next phrase. He went to the mountain to pray. What do you think he's praying about? Oh, Father, let him get to the other side. I mean, you don't know these guys like I know them, Dad. Hey, get up to the other What do you think he was praying about? Think about it. It kind of gives us a picture just a moment later. He went to the mountain pray. And when the evening come, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. Remember, he was praying. You know who he's praying for? You. You know how I know that? It's that next line that I left underlined in your notes. He saw them. You might think in all the struggles and the difficulties you're dealing with, God is a million miles away. But all he's doing, he said, let's deal with this thing. Let's move on. Let's get in the boat. Go the other side. You're going to accomplish this. And I'm going to go pray. You know why? The storm's not going to change. And you need me to be praying for you. You know, the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. How many now can look back and say, 
Oh, I know where God was praying for me. He went up to the mountain to pray. But the whole time, he never take his eyes off of Jesus, off of, the, off of the disciples. The Bible says next, they were straining at the oar. Now I want you to underline this next phrase. Because their life was against them. Actually, that's not what it says. It said the wind was against them. How many of you ever have life blown up a storm in your life? You can call it wind. You can call it anything you want to. The reality is the wind, the life was against him. Folks, at times, life can seem against us. We can be walking in God's grace and glory and majesty. And I, I can't tell you how many people, how many times over my, my 35-plus 30, uh, years of pastoring, tell me, I just don't feel God. I just don't, I just don't feel, you know something, folks? You can have a presence and that presence not be God. Are you okay? The devil is a great counterfeiter. He's transformed into an angel of light, the Bible says. It's interesting. Let's see, what was it a, a, a few, a couple hundred years ago? Uh, some angel of light showed up to a guy named Joseph. Uh, what was this? Oh, yeah, uh, Moroni showed up to a guy named Joseph. Joseph, yeah, Smith, you know the guy? The Bible says an angel of light. Not the Bible, their Book of Mormon says, oh, did I say that publicly? Hmm. See, my Bible says I'm supposed to confront lies with truth. If... Satan is transformed into an angel of light. Why is it a great thing that his ministers are transformed into ministers of righteousness? Folks, you want to know how you know? You can always tell the root by the fruit. The fruit might be wonderful today, but it will leave a stench later. Life can be against you. There are times when the windows of heaven are open to bless you, but the gates of hell will be open to blast you. And just because you're going through struggles doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore or God's presence is in some place anymore or God's not moving anymore. It's just the enemy is trying to, with the, the distractions, he's trying to take you away from the attraction. Which is get your eyes off of Jesus. Because if you get your eyes off of Jesus, you know what you can do? You can put your eyes on a man very easily. And you know what happens when you put that on that man? Oh, he might be everything since sliced bread when he first starts, but sooner or later, oh, that's just old hat. I need something new. Am I making any sense this morning? In our text, Mark chapter 6, look what happened. He made us. Number one, the first thing he does here is four things. He tells us what to do. He doesn't ask us what to do. He tells us what to do. Get your eyes on me. And he puts them in the boat and says, remember, I'm the one that put you in that boat. Keep your eyes on me. And then the second thing he does, he prays for them in the midst of all of it. And the third thing, we know that he's praying for us because he never, he's always got his eyes on us. He saw them in the middle. 
And then the fourth thing he wants us to know is even though the world may be against you, I am for you. And someplace in my Bible, it still says, greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. So three things really quick. Because he keeps us, we can know his peace. Because we know that no matter what the storm is blowing, God, I'm in your presence. God, I'm in your hand. God, I'm in your purpose. I'm in your plan, your pursuit. God, just like Elisha, there may be junk all around me, but God, I know greater is he that's in me. And God, just help me to see what's going on so I can stand in the midst of what's going on. You see, God's peace and promises are obtainable even in the midst of the struggle. He promised if we'd invite him in. Now, we know the story continues, and I'll, I'll touch on it here in just a moment, that Jesus will come to where we are. He'll come into the middle of the difficulty if we will invite him in. You find that in John <coughs> chapter 6, verse 21. The same story, Jesus goes walking on the water. He goes walking on the water. They're struggling. They're going to drown, it seems. But what was the last words Jesus said? Go to the other side. So he's there, and they're in the boat, and the Bible says he's just walking on the water. And he was going to walk right past them. Once again, we've been in a struggle. God, where are you at? You're everywhere but here. God, are you just walking right past me? Do you not care that I'm dying here? Jesus would have just walked right past. Why? Because he already told them, you're going to be victorious. Get in the boat and go to the other side. In all of those passages, I think three different times it's talked about in the Bible, he never says, get in the boat and go in the middle and drown. Get in the boat and go in the middle and die. He doesn't say that any time. He says, get in the boat and go to the other side. So how many know if Jesus in the last book of the Bible says we win? How many think it's a good statement to stand on? Okay. So he said get in the boat and go the other side. So he was just going to walk past them. Why? To meet them on the other side. Some of you all is going to leave here today and while you're walking out the door, he said, oh yeah, Jesus is going to meet me over there. Just what about here? Well, Philippians 4 talks about that. The Bible says that God's peace is beyond understanding. He said, if you'll worry about nothing but pray about everything, my peace that passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind at rest, even in the worst time of your life. Why can God do that, and why can I obtain that? Because I know what he did at Calvary. I know that he already took care of getting me to the other side. That's why Isaiah 26 says, He will keep me in perfect peace as my mind is steadfast, and I trust in him. Now, here's the difficulty, folks. It, it is so 
so much of a struggle for you and I to fully understand the gift of salvation. This is why the devil can beat us so much about our worth and our value and, and, and our ability to be right with God. The devil can hammer us so much. You know why? We look in the mirror and we know who we are. He, he is only trying to get us to stop looking at who he is. Because if he can get his focus back on who we are, then we know we're only a toothpick fall, you know, short of falling over. We don't fully understand salvation. It's indescribable. The complexity and wisdom of God's plan for your life and mine, it is baffling. If you would have told me 40 plus years ago that I was going to be preaching uh, in, in a church that, that would have anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people, that I was going to be the pastor of those churches and I was going to be starting churches, you know, this is the fifth time my wife and I have started a church. God, I'm 60. I don't want to do it again. And by God's grace, I won't. And y'all's prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. I'm not asking. I'm not asking. I'm conversing. If you would have told me 40 plus years ago that I was going to preach in 36 different nations of the world, preaching to hundreds of thousands of people at a time, I would have said, you What's the famous word? You're smoking something. God's plan is baffling. You know what he said? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But you know what else it says? God's love surpasses knowledge. It is so great. That in the infinity of my mind, I can never fully understand it. The reasoning of my heart, it is totally incapacitating for me to even try to comprehend God's peace. Yet I sense it every time I'm in the midst of a battle. This is what happens. God's peace doesn't answer all the questions. Folks, I don't know. I'm sometimes in the middle of stuff. God, I don't even know what to ask. I don't know what to ask. But you know what God's peace does? It causes me to stop questioning all the answers. All I know is this is where I am. That's where he is. And that's where I'm going. And so I keep my eyes on what he's done. Folks, I, to try to figure all this stuff out, I, I don't. I, I remember reading a story about a, about a professor who was, who was bent on destroying every Christian that comes to his class. So this professor stood up and challenged the students with this one question. Did God create, every, did God create everything that exists? Well, a student who was a Christian bravely replied, yes, he did. God did create everything. And the professor said, really? God created everything. And the professor said, okay, well, if God created everything, then God created evil, since evil exists. And according to the principle that our works define who we are, then that means God is evil. 
The student was dumbfounded, and after the, after the answer, uh, just sat down, couldn't say. The professor, quite amused and pleased with himself, boasted to the students that he had proven once more that the Christian faith is nothing more than a myth. Well, to that, another student stood up and said, Professor, can I ask you a question? Professor was a little caught up in himself. He said, sure, anything. Well, the student asked the professor, Professor, does cold exist? And the professor thought he's got one of these young whippersnapper guys. And, and he said, what kind of question is that? Of course cold exists. Have you never been cold before? How many are cold this morning? The class snickered at the young man's question, but then his reply came like this. Well, sir, if you don't mind my saying, in fact, cold does not exist. According to the law of physics, what we consider cold is in reality simply the absence of heat. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it transmits energy, and heat is what makes a body or a matter transmit energy. Absolute zero is almost 460 degrees below zero. Minus 460 degrees Fahrenheit, 459.4. That is absolute zero. And that's where they base all the measurements of heat on, not cold. 460 degrees minus Fahrenheit is the total absence of heat. All matter becomes inert, incapable of reaction at that temperature. So, sir, in actuality, cold does not exist. We have only created that word to describe what it feels like when we have no heat. How unfathomable is that concept? Then the young man went on and said, Sir, would you mind if I asked another question? And the professor, getting a little concerned now, says, Yes, sir. Professor, does darkness exist? And the professor shucked. He said, Well, come on, man. What do you, you know, of course it does. Well, the student replied, Well, once again, sir, that is incorrect. Darkness, as a matter of fact, does not exist. In reality, all darknesses is the absolute of light. Light, we can study. We can't study darkness. It's Newton's prism that we can break white light into multitudes of colors and study the various wavelengths of the colors. But now darkness is immeasurable. A ray of light breaks into the world of darkness and illuminates it. But how do we know how dark a certain place is? We know how dark it is by measuring the amount of light that is present. Isn't that correct, professor? And the professor, knowing the boy is correct, didn't say a word. See, darkness, he said, is just simply a term that we use to describe what happens when there is no light. The professor starts to move and said, Sir, can I ask one last question, please? I want to go back to the beginning of our conversation today. And he said, sir, does evil exist? 
And the professor thought, well, he had this one. It, it, certainly, it, it, it exists. The professor responded, of course. We've talked about that. Every day we see it. It is in the daily example of man's inhumanity to other men. It is the multitude of crime and violence that we see everywhere in the world. The manifestations are nothing more than pure evil. To this, the student replied, well, actually, sir, evil doesn't exist. Or at least, it does not exist unto itself. Evil, he went on to say, is simply the absence of God. Just like darkness, just like cold. They are words that we have created to describe when something is absent. God did not create evil. Evil is simply the result of what happens when men do not invite God into their lives. Listen to me, Christian. When we're in the midst of the struggle and the turmoil, do we want God's love to shine or the enemy's attributes to shine? It's like cold. Comes when there's no heat. Or darkness comes when there's no light. The reason it's dark is we haven't invited light into the room. The reason it's cold is we haven't invited heat into the room. Many times our struggles are because we're either living exactly where God wants us to be or we're not inviting God back into where he needs to be. And when we say, well, I just can't sense God, sooner or later, later, evil is going to win. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Oh, by the way, at the end of this question, the young man sat down. His name was Albert Einstein. Folks, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I know the answer. And when I live my life in the depths of God's love, I can walk my life in the confidence that peace is going to be surrounding me. Can somebody say amen? In John chapter 6, verse 21, I told you, and I left it in your notes, Jesus was going to walk right by them on the water, but they were willing to take him into their problem, to take him into their situation. And you know what the Bible says? Here's that word again. Immediately. They were at the other side. Immediately, Jesus said, get in the boat. And if you invite me into it, I'll get you where you're going. Are you with me today? The 107th Psalm says these words, he stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea he hushed. What is the Lord literally saying? He stilled the storm to a whisper. He will give your mind peace, though the storm rages, and the waves will be hushed. He said, I'm going to settle you all that fear because you know, I said, I'm going to get you where you're going. Can somebody say amen this morning? The second thing, and quickly, because he protects us, we can know his peace. The first off, because he keeps us. If we just do what he said to do, he said, I'll keep you. 
He said, if you just do what I say to do, I will protect you. And because I protect you, he said, you can know peace. See, the presence of life's problems does not mean the absence of God's protection. We find this in the book of Job. It's just like Einstein's uh, conversation with his professor. He said, you can, you can call it anything you want to, but it's just the opposite or the absence of what it's supposed to. In Job chapter 1, the Bible says, uh, uh, Satan came to the Lord and said, hey, I want to do this, that, and the other thing. And God said, you can do this, that, and the other thing, but you can't touch him. You may be going through a struggle, but God said, devil, you can't touch him in this area. In Job chapter 2, the Bible says that Satan came back to the Lord and said, okay, fine, you can touch him. You can it make some things irritating, but you can't take his life. Can I tell you that God has your life held in his hands? And you know why? Do you know why that we can confidently stand in God's peace because we know we're wrapped in his love? Because everything about your life or my life, every activity that happens in this world, as we invite God into our lives, his name is on the line. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 23, verse 3. It's in your notes. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. What's it say? For his name's sake. Psalm 25, 11 says, for your name's sake, Lord, you pardon my iniquity. It is great. Look at somebody and say, that verse was written about me. I got a lot of mess up in me. Well, it gets quiet when you start putting it down there, doesn't it? Look at Psalm 31. You, you are my rock and my fortress. What's it say? For your name's sake. He's not our rock and our fortress just because he thinks we're we're all that in a bag of chips. He said, for my name's sake, Ezekiel 20 says, you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake. I've said for years, folks, nothing touches the father's child until it first touches the child's father. If we are in it, God has allowed it for some reason. If you're keeping God in the midst of your life and you're struggling and you're dealing with stuff, if you say, God, I love you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, I don't know why the heck I am in this place. If you love God like that and you're in the midst of it, God's allowed it for some reason. So what do you say? Oh, God, get me out of this. No, God, give me peace in it so I can learn from it. Can somebody say amen? Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and puts them into practice, too many times in the Christian church, and this is why I talk about, we want to talk about all the blessings and all the, all the promises and all the good stuff and all, we want God to do everything. But there's something about God. He says, no, you got to do your part. Look what it says here. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Everyone who hears these words of mine, what's the next phrase say? Puts them into, in other words, it has to go from your ears to your head to your heart, and that's the only way it gets to your feet. As believers, we have to firmly attach ourselves 
to the foundation of our salvation, which is Jesus. If we are not attracted to him, we'll be distracted by them. Everything else in the world, let me wrap this up. Because he loves us, we can know peace. Because he loves us, we can know peace. There's a story that I shared, and some of you might remember, many, many years ago. There's about an old oak tree that sat out in the middle of the forest. And this oak tree would be out there, and it was a majestic oak tree. All of a sudden, this vine found itself attached to this oak tree. And it was trying to find the best way to attach itself. This mighty, majestic oak tree. So the vine starts studying the storms, starts studying the struggles, starts studying the different things that that oak tree dealt with. And the vine finally decided that I'm going to attach myself on the side of the tree that when the struggles come, they're going to push me close to the tree. When all of the shaking happens, I'm going to be on the side of the tree that's away from all the destruction. That way I can stay in the peace of the tree. There's sometimes, folks, that there's struggles that will blow against us. And Jesus says, you know, I love you, don't you? Because the devil wants you to doubt that. Jesus, all he's, all he's doing, he's whispering. At that time, he said, you know I love you, don't you? You know I, yeah, Lord, I know you love me. I know you love me. Your word says you love me, and I, I need to put into practice. So, Lord, what do I do? And you'll listen, but only hear if you will. He said, just press into me. Press into me. I'm going to let the storm rage. I'm going to let the struggle happen. But just press into me. But what if it gets too, 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 too difficult? Come on, Mr. Oak Tree. This is an oak tree right here. And this oak tree is going to be Standing. Dylan, I need a vine. Come on. You're going to be hugged up to that oak tree. All of a sudden, the storm comes. Jesus doesn't stop it. All of a sudden, he's there against that oak tree, and the storm is coming. And you know what the storm is doing? It's just pressing him closer and closer and closer and closer. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it starts coming from the other side, and the storm starts trying to rip him away. Rip him away. But you know what happens? Jesus goes and stands 
between the storm, the tree, and the vine and says, come on, I got you. I got you. And you notice the tree doesn't even shake. And the vine is just as happy as a bug in a rug with a jug. <laughs> Maybe without the jug. Total peace. You see, either way, God said, if you'll let me, I'm not always going to keep the struggles away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, they're lighting that fire up, boys. Are you ready? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, keep me away from this. God, get me away from it. I don't want to. God, you know I burn. I don't like heat. I want a cold. Could you imagine if God said you're going to go into Antarctica? God, keep me away from the cold. I like heat. Remind me of that movie, Frosty. You know, she's out there riding her horse. Some of y'all can get this afterwards. And, and she said to her sister, the queen, who turned everything into ice. And uh, she's... And all of a sudden, she said, why couldn't she have tropical powers instead of ice powers? <laughs> Folks, can I tell you something? None of us like the problems, no matter what they are. But we have to say, how close am I going to get? How, how, how strong? And when it seems like I'm all alone, then you know what happens? Jesus just walks in and he says, I got you. I got you because I love you. And there ain't nothing can separate us from him. Can somebody say amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.